Uh, this movie has no quotes page and no tagline. Uh, a new film by jane campion that's the tagline i'm seeing here on the uh yeah on the on the poster (laughs) right and then there's a pull quote that says spectacular it's a movie quite unlike any other you're likely to see sweetie is an original it's from vincent camby vincent camby the legend he was right could i have taken an extra two minutes to look for other places where there's maybe a quote not on imdb yeah maybe i could (laughs) have i don't know i don't know that's where it should be, though. Yeah, I'm not uh, seeing any tags. I mean, this is the uh, first time we've had a movie that has neither. We've had movies before with no <laughs> quotes page, but very few. Like like two or three in total, I remember. Someone where it build was... out the quotes page. This movie's yeah. got lines. This movie's got lines. Um, yeah, official selection, can, 1989. That's a tagline on one of these posters. Okay, I got one. This is from uh, cinema-fanatic.com, and they do a movie quote of the day. Mm-hmm. And here was their movie quote of the day uh, at some point. What if it does die? What? <laughs> the podcast. Well, we'll get another one. Yeah, but this is our podcast. Talking about the tree. tree? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) The accent was bad. I did a bad job. I wasn't prepped. I don't know. I don't have to tell you. Great start to a great app, Griff. Look, it's a great app. Keep on going. It's a killer movie, but an absolute failing of the IMDb community. (laughs) A a website that's never done anything wrong. No, and look, this podcast is not going to die. The roots grow really strong. They can split concrete. (laughs) There you go. Uh, hello, everybody. This is Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. I'm realizing now, you know this thing where people are logging podcasts on IMDb? Are they really? Like, like, what like their mean? movies? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like a podcast is like a TV show, and then oh. every episode is like an episode, and they add them to people's IMDb credits. There's mm-hmm. a Blank Check IMDb page now, and someone should start building out that quotes page. Oh, God. Ooh. <laughs> oh but yeah, here it is on my MDB page. Right, you got the credit, but I think they're the only singular episode listed. Praying with anger, yeah. praying with anger, wide awake. There are no other episodes filled out. Yeah. Well, someone get on that. Not me yeah. though. Not me. Not me. No, yeah. thank you. <laughs> um, this is a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks, make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce. Sweetie, <laughs> very good. And that was a little. That was a little joke. Uh, it's a mini series on the films of Jane Campion. It is called <clears throat> the Podcastiano. The Podcastiano. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I, 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 I only got it. Reaction. I only could hear it when David said it. Sorry. I think yeah, it will work visually. <laughs> I think visually. It's going to track. Today we're talking about her second feature film, her first one that was intended uh, purely theatrical, uh, which is called Sweetie. Uh, And returning to the show, uh, co-creator of uh, Search Party, uh, Sarah Violet Bliss. Hi. Hi, Sarah Violet. I feel shy. You should. All of a sudden, you, you feel should. shy? Yeah, this happened last time, I think, too. <laughs> Suddenly, like, when you introduced me, I was like, oh, no. Now, then you <laughs> clam up. Right, the pressure's yeah, on. Up. 
it's not like the Wild West of the first couple minutes where you haven't been introduced yet. You can say anything, but it doesn't count. Yeah. A little right. giggle here and there. A little giggle. Scattered giggles. Um, uh, right off the bat, I just want to say there were, there were two big texts that happened in the Blank Check text thread last night. One is David uh, sent us a video of... You know, uh, I think just a picture. Was it not? Was it not like a live photo or something? Or was it just Maybe it's a, still? a live photo? It might be a live photo. It might be a live photo. I don't yeah, want to yeah, tell tales out of school. It was a live mm-hmm. photo of his daughter, the boss baby, Aww. watching Sweetie. <laughs> she did. I just had it on, and she was transfixed by it. I think because it's so colorful. She doesn't always pay attention if the TV is on, but I think because it's just such a you know, vibrant, stark-looking movie. She was. But you said she could not stop looking at it. Transfixed by Sweetie. She, I mean, she's fully like locked in. Yeah, you just said her name there, which whatever. Oh, bleep it out! Bleep it out! Bleep it out! Bleep it out! Boss baby, boss baby. Um, I saw this when I was a kid too. Clearly, older than a baby, but my mom was watching it, and I too was transfixed in a way that uh, that really got under my skin. <laughs> So yeah, I don't know how. it's disturbing. <laughs> yeah, if you're a very kid especially. Yeah, super bleak and disturbing, and I, you know, but um, yeah, it's just funny to hear about your baby also having the same reaction I did as a child. <laughs> I, how old were you? I think that I was. I th- I want to say I was nine. Like okay. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, sure. something like that. Th- this movie has like the aesthetics of a children's film though like it feels like yeah. a raw doll adaptation or something you know yeah it's it's Weird. got that odd uh energy okay so david sends us that text about the boss baby uh last night and then this morning ben texts us do you do you want to read your text ben uh yeah sure i texted um one of the best movies I've watched for this show. Well, you said, well, I get it, because Sweetie fuck. Right, right, right. Because as we've right. said, David's daughter, the boss baby, was transfixed mm-hmm. by the movie. And I said, I got it because Sweetie fucks. And that indeed. So was the it, boss Benny. It was kind of the boss Benny having a moment. And yeah, I just, this is what I'll say. And we'll look, obviously get into it more. I like weird. <laughs> abnormal characters and i just like when shit's different and this was fucking cool <laughs> as hell and so refreshing i just recently had watched back to back the new marvel movies mm-hmm. um and then also kind of had recently watched dune and i was just like so samey and then i put this on last night and i was like man i don't know this is just exciting and and refreshing yeah, you know what's a, another thing this movie has uh, in comparison to the movies you just mentioned? Uh, colors. Oh, right. Yeah. Colors. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It's all, all anyone can talk about in this movie is the colors. But it is wild. Like, you watch yeah. this and you're just like, man, everything looks so fucking boring now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also, so I saw this when I was a kid and then, and it stuck with me. And then I believe that it was on the NYU list of movies to watch, like before you get there, you know, like a very long mm-hmm. list of movies that are like, oh, these okay. are, these are important the films. The canon. You know? Yes. Right. <laughs> um, and I was like looking it up and I was like, oh my God, 
that movie, that's Jane Campion. Like, you know, because I was just a child, you know, at the time didn't have any reference for the filmmakers and whatever. Um, so yeah, I just had to, it, it was like a, I've had a journey with the film, I think. So it's like a movie that transfixed you when you were nine, yes. watching it over your mother's shoulder. Then it kind of sticks in your craw. And then <laughs> like decades later, you see it on a list recontextualized as important film. Yes. And you realize that it's not like, oh, that's some odd movie that gave me a nightmare as a child. Right. That is actually <laughs> exactly. a thing exactly. by a director I now know is taken seriously. I mean, I, I think I mentioned this in the last episode, but my first time watching this movie, like my awareness of this movie was, I, I David, I want to imagine it was maybe a similar thing for you, but being like a, 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 cr- a criterion dork teenager, right? Sure. Uh, and this and Angel at My Table, I think, were both fairly early releases. And you're, like, m- charting what each month, you know, the new announcements are. And a lot of times, like, that that was the first I'd heard of some movie, especially if it was a more obscure or an earlier film in a major director's career. So it's yeah. like, oh, I know what the cover of that movie is, but sometimes Criterion has artistic interpretation, does not necessarily convey the tone of a thing. And then whatever the, like short description is on the website right i just always assumed this movie like oh chaotic sister takes over house and life was more similar in tone to later jane campion movies (laughs) Mm. like i thought it was in that vein uh a friend of the podcast uh, past and future guest alex ross perry and i went to see some movie at lincoln center and this was playing right afterwards. And we were like, do you want to just stay for Sweetie? And I was like, yeah, this is Jane Campion. She's important. We should see this, right? And then like five minutes into it, turned to each other and said, I had no idea this was the tone of this thing. <laughs> like even just the opening with the, the fucking uh, psychic reading the tea leaves. Yeah. It was just like, this is, this is what this movie is? Uh, and, and just being pretty, like flummoxed by it in a, in a good way. Um. Uh, Yes. But it is bizarre to watch this now with, like, the rest of her career in the back of your mind, I think, versus, like, when this is her first major statement as a filmmaker. Uh, That's, yeah, no, I I know what you're saying because she becomes more of a whatever, lush and uh, sort of prestige director, although she's always weird. I, yeah, I yes. don't actually know if I, how, how to totally click Claire. It is unlike anything else she's made, I suppose. Although I do think it's it's sort of of a piece with an angel at my table. That's, that's, that's a much very different movie, but they're both about um, being a young woman in some way, I guess. But that's is this, the sort of shared thing. Is this like her only movie that could be fairly categorized as a comedy yes well right it's an odd it's been comedy, a long but... i think holy smoke is the other one holy okay. smoke is the one that's sort of very heightened that's the only reason i'm i'm like holy smoke might have like a lot of sweetie energy in a, in a weird way uh so we'll get to holy smoke i don't know so sv like are you a campion fan in general like do you i, I do you realized feel about the whole i realized after um Uh, because I I was like, how does this compare to her other movies? And I've seen the, you know, the piano, (laughs) the piano lesson, Um, whatever. Uh, And the piano lesson. (laughs) Yes. And, um, and, but like, it's pretty vague in my head. And then I was like, wait a minute, I haven't seen any of her other movies other than these two. Um, Mm. So 
and, and I like again knowing that Jane Campion is a, is supposed to be important. I have yet not seen her movies except for this one that is stuck with me. And then Sooner, when I think right. about the 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 piano lesson, <laughs> um, uh, I it's like the thing that really st- sticks with me from that is the weird sex scenes, and that kind of resonates in this, right? Absolutely. Um, and, and the non-sex scenes as well. And the I like the sort of weird, weird non-sex in this movie. Um, yeah. Griff, for me, look, Jane Campion came into my life because when I was uh, seven or eight years old, the piano came out, right? I mm-hmm. probably just, I was seven, right? And that was a movie where I was like vaguely aware of uh, grown-up movies at that point. I'm watching the Oscars. There's mm-hmm. this movie called The Piano. <laughs> right. And I'm like, oh, okay. So is that like... It's like a movie about someone who plays the piano. And that was a movie that all adults had to see, right? Like, yes. that was like yes. which is so right. funny to think about, <laughs> considering that this was a New Zealand director of little, you know, of like very arty note, right? Like, you know, yeah. had suddenly made this big movie with American stars in it. And it's like, yeah, well, we're all going to go see the piano. And I just remember my mom being like, yeah, I, yeah, you know, there's the piano on the beach, and I, I, you know what, I can't explain the movie to you. I, I, I can't even begin. <laughs> yeah, like, and that—that's how I feel. Like Jane Campion goes for a Absolutely. lot of her movies. Absolutely. Yeah, and as much as she is a major filmmaker mm-hmm. and has been for decades, she also has a filmography that's widely underseen because a lot of her movies come out and are greeted with like skepticism. Apart yeah. from the piano, like and right. maybe Bright Star, like those are, the, and now the Power of the Dog, I guess. But even but Bright Star got a little bit. Um, yeah, it was not major. Like it, it was as, as it major was, as it should have been. It was critically beloved, but it did not break through in no the same Oscar way. No Oscar noms, right. right? Not a lot of money, right? I'm a couple years younger than you, and my distinct memory was like I think the English Patient year was the first Oscars that I watched live, where it was the same thing. Where I'm like, okay, this is the grown up movie. This is the one that every time they pay, play clip everyone goes like oh oh my god and that's like the year that the weinsteins finally pull off the thing they had been working towards with the piano and other movies where it's like now it's a blockbuster and it wins every category right Mm -hmm. versus Mm -hmm. like piano gets these three big wins it gets screenplay and the two actress wins but that movie more than anything it's like a it becomes one of the sort of totemic like art house oscar breakouts of the 90s And B, it has these weird Oscar stats to it, which is like, she's only the second woman nominated for Best Director ever. Anna Paquin's the second youngest person to ever win Best Supporting Actress. Uh, That's that movie's kind of reputation more than anything. But I also saw, you know, Criterion's now finally releasing movies on uh, 4K. And I saw someone online defending it being like, well, the thing that's great about Criterion is they're putting 4K releases out of movies that otherwise are really obscure and would have been forgotten, like The Piano. And I was like, you don't understand how large the shadow was of The Piano throughout the entire 90s. (laughs) The shadow of The Piano. But it was. And like her other movies couldn't come out from it, you know, but like. It was it was a huge fucking deal. And as you said, Dave, it felt like a movie that was like mandatory viewing for all intellectual parents. <laughs> right. Had to see the piano. So that's why it's funny to come back around, yes, to yes. this early work. And you're like, oh, this is like like having like what if your big sister was this like horny poltergeist like that you couldn't get rid of? <laughs> right. Like right. and it's so <laughs> Uh, audacious in a plot way as well where like the movie is called Sweetie it's ostensibly like the, as you, you might maybe you read the back 
right. the DVD box and it says like, oh, it's about her sister bothering her. And you watch it for like 25 minutes and you're like, where's her sister? I don't get this. <laughs> yeah. right. This is about like a mousy girl who's like steals away a sort of a dumb guy. Like, well, I, I don't even know what you're, you know, like there's nothing about this movie that really obeys how movies are supposed to work. And it's all the better for it, I think. To your point, David, the first 25 minutes, I'm sitting there going, do I misremember what this movie's about? I thought it's about a sister. Not only has <laughs> the sister not entered, but so much has happened in the first 25 minutes. She has her fortune told. She <laughs> realizes her coworker who just got engaged is actually the man she's destined to love. She steals him, makes out with him under a car. Their relationship goes cold. <laughs> Their tree right, is they're stolen. already in trouble, right? Right. By the time, by the time Sweetie shows they're up, they're sort of like a three act story of their relationship before Sweetie enters. It's a lot of pressure to plant a tree, like for <laughs> your like relationship. I relate to that, <sighs> especially because it was founded upon omens, and sure. so it's like the first sign of the tree not being healthy. It's like, how are they not going to get in their heads about it? It's just. Mm. It is wild how fast this movie moves and how much it goes through. Yeah, I, I watched uh, I watched this movie twice in the last 24 hours because I watched it with commentary once. Uh, oh, sure. Cool. I was just very curious to hear how she talks about this movie. Is it just her or is it like her and uh, Jared, Gerard Lee or something? It's her and the DP and then Gerard oh, Lee really? shows up 30 minutes in like Sweetie crashing the commentary I, and changes the whole flow of things. I did like minimal, minimal research, but mm-hmm. she and Gerard Lee had been in a relationship before yes. they wrote the movie, which is, yeah. you know, pretty, pretty weird. They had <laughs> been in a relationship and the movie is based on his family, but she kind of muddles that by de- de- dedicating it to her sister, yeah. which makes, which makes you think it's about her, but she was like, no, nah, my sister had just been going through a lot of shit, so I was yeah. kind of dedicating it to her. The yeah. thing she says in the commentary is, uh, uh, Campion's mother has like a uh, horrible depression. Yes. At the end She's of shooting actress. this movie, in the last uh, couple weeks, uh, her mother has a suicide attempt. And her sister like packs up her life and goes to tend to her mother so that Campion can finish making the movie. So that's the main reason the sister gets the dedication. Right. But it also but give, makes But given me... the context of the movie. Of course, <laughs> of course. But then when you hear that, you also wonder, is, is the movie perhaps a little bit more about her relationship with her mother than it is about her relationship with her sister? Because she's like, my mm-hmm. sister is more gregarious than I am, but both of us are pretty grounded, pragmatic people. But she does admit, and there's this is in our dossier, Griff, like she mm. knows she's being a little cheeky with the dedication because she knows how people are going to take that. Like sure. She knows how it's going to come off. But I do think like this is obviously a heightened thing, but it is something that happened to Gerard. That's his name, right? Uh, sorry, yeah, Gerard Lee. It, uh, Gerard Lee. But yeah. it's his brother. And they mm-hmm. changed the sex of the sibling or or whatever like which something which is something Campion didn't want to do all everything you read about the development of this movie does not conform with what you think watching Wait, the movie did, like at all she, did she want it to be two brothers I guess so I think she she was worried that it would come off odd to have it be about women but now she's like eh the movie's great so whatever Yeah I mean and and like she becomes uh, a fan of Gerard Lee through his writing. He had already had some published work. Uh, then they meet when she's in film school. They link up. 
they start dating pretty quickly. Uh, they make the short film together, her second short, uh, which, why am I forgetting the name? Passionless Moments, which is very much his sense of humor and is the one other thing in her body of work that I think is pretty similar to this. But it's like black and white, very voiceover heavy. It's a series of sort of vignettes of odd moments in people's lives, interactions and stuff. So they make that together. They live together. She said their relationship progressed like very quickly. They moved in together almost immediately. And then it's sort of like, organically came to an end sure he seems uh, so, like an intense dude like you're saying but they seem to be on incredibly good terms yeah, they're, uh, they're buds right so that's her second short then she makes the third short uh girl's own story then those three shorts and two friends uh, her tv movie debut go to can she's sort of anointed as like this is the next great director uh, there's the quote I'm sure you want to read, David. Uh, uh, Gilles Jacob said to Philip Adams, head of the Australian Film Commission, you must give her lots of money so she'll be in competition with a feature film in two years. He basically went to the head of Australian movies and said, like, fund this woman's next movie and so right. she can come back. It's it's literally like the Cannes Film Festival was like, she is important. If she does yeah, not that's how it works. come back Often. here, it is, is a societal failing. Um the wildest fucking thing is that her initial intent was for the piano to be her first movie, which at the time SV was supposed to be called the piano lessons. Okay. So you were right. You were right. <laughs> so you were right. Really? That was, that was, <laughs> you were right. You were right. You were right all along. You were right all along. I, you know, it's 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 that I was like, okay, there's the the piano, and then there's the I was like a piano teacher and then there's the pianist. You know, like, there's right. so many different right. that I was like, ah, the piano lesson. <laughs> the trilogy. It's the it's the piano trilogy. Yeah. yeah um, tinkling keys trilogy. But th- it's it's wild that it's like that was her first idea. She has this incredibly like Which are all very important films, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's an odd, like important foreign art house trilogy. Yeah. Uh no, it, it's just wild that she like out of the gate had that idea in her head and it was more that she was like there's that and then there's sort of like doing the early stages of what would become angel at my table right doing some sort of uh, uh janet frame adaptation that, and those things were on the table right right but she starts writing piano first Piano That's lesson. a movie she's been right. working on. Absolutely. She's noodling on Janet Frame. She has this heat from Khan. And her like logic to it is to some degree like, I don't know if they'll let me make a movie like this later in my career. I mean, in different interviews, she said different things that make it sound like there were a lot of different factors that went to the decision. But she was like, this might be the one moment in my career where I can make a very strange, low-budget, yeah. tonally off-putting comedy. If I do the prestige movie now, A, I might not be ready for it, and B, it'll be harder for me to come back around and make this odd thing. Well, also, it's like people want a Jane Campion movie. They want to see a Jane Campion movie right now. Later, she can be like, okay, you didn't like Sweetie? Well, I got a movie about, you know, Janet Frame. Is that interesting? And they'd be like, oh, well, sure, I know who that... You know, like, later you can hook them with a different hook. But right now, she's just like, yeah, I'm going to make you a Jane Campion movie. But but the two other people on the, on the commentary are just like, I cannot believe the foresight you had to, like, organize that in your brain and understand that many steps ahead, how to build your career. And Campion says this thing about how when she was a kid, 
other kids would call her up and they'd be like, Jane, can I, I, I could use your help. I want to go to the pool today. I have some homework to do. I want to go to the movies. And she'd be like, okay, this is the order in which you do things. <laughs> that they would literally ask her for advice on how to organize their lives. Well, she's, she's a smart <laughs> lady. Um, but uh, yeah, she's with Gerard Lee. It's about being in a couple and the problem of being in love and not making able, you know, not having a relationship work. That's how she puts it, right? Like it's cl- mm-hmm. they're clearly mining their own lives uh, in this sort of weird love story. And uh, the tree is right from their relationship. They had a tree growing in their backyard and he was obsessed over how they kept dying. And she was like, I don't care about that. I'm like working on my movies and my stuff. I, I don't I don't give a shit about the tree. And that's why she like hits on the metaphor of like the strength of a tree, like this sort of, you know, and like the sort of frightening sight of a withering tree. The other thing that's really interesting in the commentary is she is so fucking goofy. In the in, like when she's chatting. Yeah, the whole time. Yeah. And it yeah. doesn't feel like it's just because of this movie, but they keep on talking about how funny she is in general. What's Sally Bongers like? That's the director of photography who is kind of mysterious, only really shot this and disappeared. Was was a film school compatriot of hers. Right. Had a similar background, went to art school. Yeah. This is a gorgeously photographed movie. It's yeah. sort of odd that she didn't really pursue that career. And she does apparently shoot Jane Campion's publicity photos to this yeah. day. Yeah. Mm. That's where you see her name. But I just wonder what happened to her. I mean, they don't say she does talk about like she's a trivia fact as the first woman to shoot an australian film oh wow oh there you go right and that uh it, it, camping came to her and asked her to do it like it was a very natural thing and she was like i felt acutely of the wear of the fact that none of my male film school uh uh classmates ever would have even considered me for that and that i wasn't thinking of myself that way either but with Campion, it was like a very obvious, natural thing. There's a really interesting thing about the the sort of development of her visual style here, where they're talking about how both of them really liked having lockdown shots without movement and loading as much into the frame as possible and having the frame sure. change over, you know, a, a long static time where through motion – the, the composition of the frame can change dramatically. And they're talking about all the philosophical reasons they like that and whatever. But the other thing they said was that there was only like so much equipment and all the guys at their film school were very competitive about trying to like sign up for who can rent out the cranes or the dollies <laughs> or any of the other things to do these like incredibly complex moving shots. And they were like, I don't want to fucking play that game. We're never going to beat them at that. We're never going to get our hands on the equipment. Let's figure out how to make the most out of doing the opposite of what everyone else is doing. And so I do think a lot of her being brought on to be the DP in this and everything is like sort of the two of them bonding in the foxhole, you know, to a certain Mm -hmm. extent. Definitely. And, and and it also sounds like they were both similarly frustrated by how didactic so much of film school was and how much they were constantly being told, like, you have to do this, you can never do this. Both in terms of the visual language, in terms of screenwriting and everything. And this movie is in many ways like them it's like a saying, rebellion to all movies. <laughs> right. It's a rebellion to all movies, but it's also a movie about someone who refuses to conform to society yes, and its rules, true. which is the thing that Campion says, like, in her mind, all of her movies are about. That she's 
fascinated by the idea of society and how we're told we're supposed to behave within it and how unnatural that is and when people push up against that in any way. And this is the movie right. that is that both in in like sort of text and in actual form. But it's it's a it's a very rich metaphor, the whole idea of sweetie like is is odd. I, I, I don't I don't know how else to put it. Like the idea of your your sister or your sibling or whoever, like someone who you are like, this person is a problem. This person is messing with me and no one else being aware of it. Like, I just love how outsized she is compared to everyone's reactions to her through most of the movie. You know what I mean? Like, like that she's, she's, she's so wild and only one person seems to really be bothered by that until, until the end. Then, then more people get bothered by it, I guess. But it's also, I think it's like this movie is somewhat about the pains of of trying to live in a society as a quote unquote logical person, right? Right. She's trying to live by rules. Right. right. She's but, trying to live yeah. by rules, but also the first act of this movie is her throwing herself out of her comfort zone and being like, what if I go to a psychic? What if I follow signs from the universe? And right. that's not totally working for her either, you know? Something I loved is her relationship to the people, her coworkers. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. she steals the boyfriend away, her fiance. Yes. But even like in the beginning, when they're like, Do you want to look at the ring? Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm not interested in that. Like, the way she says it, it is so <laughs> abnormal and against societal right. rules. I fucking, I'm like immediately in on this character. It's not really my thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not really, that's not really my thing. Like, that is such a funny answer to that question. She's as strange as Sweetie, just in a completely sure different way. Yeah. Karen yeah. Colston is the actress playing Kay. She's so good. She's in multiple uh, campaign movies, as is mm-hmm. Genevieve Lemon. Uh, Genevieve Lemon, sorry. Gen- no, no, Genevieve. Yeah, I don't know. Genevieve Lemon, who is great. And who I think a lot of people in Australia know from other things as well. She was like on Neighbors, which is a famous soap opera for you. That was her sort of breakout. Yeah. And she had done a lot of guest starring uh, parts on That's Australian sitcoms. Good neighbors become good friends. That's the uh, the theme song to Neighbors. You know wow. the Neighbors theme song? <laughs> uh, neighbors is a huge deal in Britain. But uh, how Australian... would you know that? Well, that I explanation only... What? <laughs> And beyond that, I was a member of the Neighbors Society, which was a uh, university society that I belonged to. You paid five pounds to enter. Our only platform was that Neighbors should be played in the student union any time that Neighbors is on the air, which was like twice a day, like 12 and 5 or something like that. And uh, (laughs) we we succeeded in that. And then we had thousands of pounds because everyone decided to join the neighbor society and we there were, we threw a huge party on the beach wow mm-hmm. i mean i was barely involved in any of this but it did all happen <laughs> that's nice you didn't you didn't pocket it you you spread the love we, we, we were like neighbors. well right yeah we got all yeah, yeah. well yeah. good neighbors become good <laughs> friends neighbors much like home and away is the other big australian mm-hmm. soap but neighbors is one of those soaps that it's like it's like porn with the sex cut out. Like it's just a, sort of this very strange heightened world. The dialogue is very bizarre. You know, like it's just sort of a cult fascination in Britain. Yeah. Neighbors. Anyway. Uh, when else am I going to sing the neighbor's song on, <laughs> on this podcast? Uh, SV. Yes. You saw this movie as a child. Yes. 
you rewatch this movie when you're going to NYU or did you just note it on the list? I'm pretty, I, I re, mm-hmm. I'm like, did I rewatch it or did I just watch the trailer to be like, what, there was so, I think, I think this cramming. is what happened, that I watched the trailer because I was like, I can't, I, I can't watch all these movies and so let me see which right. ones, like whatever, and then I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, it's that movie. Um, and I think I was also like, I don't want to watch it again. And then I also think that it, scenes were brought up in classes at one point. Like I okay. know that I've re- re- revisited it okay. a couple of times, but not like fully until uh, watching it for again for this. And so really what had was to it like? That was my <laughs> big question, right? Like how does this movie compare to your memory of it as a child as a thing that's kind of haunted you? Yeah, that's, a, you know what? It's so, the movie is so primal that, there are still things about it that affected me in the same way that it's like, it just gets in you in this kind of way that as a child, I didn't understand what was making me so uncomfortable. And then as you know, adult, it was like, Oh, okay. It's these family dynamics that are um, like impossible to um, break and, uh, you know, everyone's sort of falling apart at, um, that really touch on like the shadow of, of, of what families can become and be and, um, feeling, feeling like just an ickiness again. Like I, I, both times feeling icky this time I would say it was like, I'm not, I don't think I'm actually enjoying watching this, but I'm feeling like I know that it's really good. <laughs> you know, like it's like mm-hmm. I I don't feel like I want to necessarily recommend this to people, but <laughs> but I but you have to like it's it's definitely good and like moving in a way that um has stuck with me both times I or however many times I've watched it. It it is an odd watch. Like it does make you feel physically strange watching yeah. this movie yes it's an uncomfortable movie i like i found myself being like how much more of this you know <laughs> like, yeah, like sure. checking right. the timeline even though like i was uh, fully appreciating it the whole time just being like uh. <laughs> and, and the end is so particularly upsetting if you've seen it before you're kind of watching in yeah. dread knowing where yeah. you're gonna end up yeah even watching it the first first time as a kid i remember f- feeling dread like that that scene really stuck in me i was like and i was like oh my god it's the, like when i i when i like rewatched the trailer or whatever it was like for film school i was like oh it's the, that movie where she's jumping up and down in the treehouse naked and covered in crap, you know, like it's just like, oil. yeah, like, and like, you know, I picked up on like the weird sexual dynamics too between, like, you know, how it's, you know, something that really disturbs me in any movie is like adults who are children or like like um, toys yes. really disturbs me. <laughs> anything where like the adult is actually a child inside or like the child is an adult inside like you know the like the reveal is that the person you thought was a child is actually an adult or benjamin button or whatever that stuff really really disturbs me i'm kind of now just as i'm talking about i'm like i wonder if this was the origin of that but anyway she but like when she's like you know uh 
bathing her father and you're like what what is this wait, wait now you're throwing this at me you know <laughs> want to um, put a pin in the bathtub thing and circle back to that at some point because the campaign said in the commentary is really interesting about it but i do think yes this movie has the vibe of movies that like upset me as a child but that i compulsively re-watch things that were in like cable rotation and i do think you're right that a lot of them have to do with like why is this adult acting like a child whether that's like part of the premise of the movie or it's just sort of a miss calibration mm -hmm. where you're like the, the, this is broken like the tone of this is off this should be for me and it's upsetting me and sweetie is the only one of the movies in that sort of zone with that feeling that actually isn't meant for children but yet it yeah. like fucking captivates you and david's infant boss baby like there's <laughs> there's something uh there i mean um uh what's her name uh, genevieve lemon uh, on top of doing Neighbors and these sitcoms and whatever, had done a play in which she played a child. And, like, that was the mm. thing that sort of brought her to them, their attention and said, like, oh, this is... If she could do that for the whole movie, that's what we need. And there's the story of, like, the first day she's working with the actor, the little boy, he goes up to her and asks her, so are you a grown-up or a kid? Oh, Wow. And not as, like, what are you playing, but as a, like, right. I don't understand you. Yeah. <laughs> you are the size of a grown-up. Yeah. But you so thoroughly seem to be a kid, it's, like, unnerving. Which is the whole central, like, conflict of the movie, really. Um, yeah. But, like, I, a movie I talk about way too much that I'm obsessed with is Sidney Lumet's The, the Wiz, which I had a very similar relationship to where I, like... Watched that when I was a child, and I was like, why does this make me so uncomfortable? And I felt very haunted by it. And then, like, 12 years later or whatever, I start watching all the New York 70s Sidney Lumet movies. And I'm like, this guy's the fucking best. What else did he make in the 70s? <laughs> he made The Wiz. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so then I rewatched The Wiz to see how it fits into, like, my nightmare memories of it. And then it's more confusing to try to go like, how is it possible that this is the same person? But also, how did I not put together the weird connections between these things? The way in which they do overlap, it's just this thing is so visually and tonally different than, than everything else this person's ever made. Um, it, it, she talks about in the commentary this thing about how like so much of her visual style – this movie was not a deliberate thing, that it was sort of an organic process with her. And she keeps on saying, like, I have no idea why I did that that way. And then she goes, like, I guess I probably, if I'm looking at it now, I would say. But she keeps <laughs> on talking about how there was no sort of, like, intentionality behind it. Um, it, it. She has this really interesting line, too, where she's talking about, like, the frustrations of thinking that everything needs to fit into a clean three-act structure and, like, film school forcing her to read, like, Sid Field and uh, Robert McKee and shit like that. And she was saying Robert McKee apparently cites her movies often as a thing not to do. Right. <laughs> well, that makes sense. This movie does not obey anything about story right. structure, like, movie story structure. It is, it is successful in spite of that or it's successful because of that. Like, that's up to you. Like yeah. to decide, I think it's successful either way. But like, it's certainly if I was like, I'm thinking like a sweetie plot structure. <laughs> right. I, I don't know if I could pull that off. Like for, for basically anything. Well, this is the thing she said that I was really fascinated by. So like Gerard Lee's kind of like saying that like, and they talk about a lot how like 
Campion seems very serious from her work, but is in fact a pretty light, funny, goofy person. And Gerard Lee mostly makes comedic things and is like a very sullen kind of morose guy. And that like, that's often the balance of how artists work sometimes, you know, is there can be an interesting inverse from their personality to their sensibilities in their work. And that's part of why they work so well together. But um, they're talking about the fact that Gerard Lee's like really hard on himself about the fact that this movie does not conform to a three-act structure. And she's sure. like, well, A, I don't think that's necessary. And B, I think we write that way to some extent without thinking about it. I think you're yeah. kind of fucked if you sit down and you outline it and you go, it has to do this and this has to happen by page 30 and whatever. I think if you watch a lot of stuff and you internalize it and you know the stories you want to tell and you let those stories guide you, we do tend to organize things in this way. And the analogy she comes up with is like, when we speak, we do not consciously think the next sentence I'm going to say needs to have a verb. It needs to have a subject, you know? I couldn't like agree dream. more. I've had these thoughts myself. <laughs> right, you, like, don't, you just you don't, kind of instinctually know how to make a story. And you, literally when you're just telling, retelling a story that happened to you, you don't, you self-edit very quickly. You don't grammatically process or plan out things in advance of when you're saying them, but you basically know how to speak as a person. And more often than not, say a correct sentence if unless you're me who the, the fucking verbal diarrhea is all the time but uh she's saying that like right if you've watched enough stuff and you've gone to film school and you've made your own shit and whatever it's not really helpful to sit down and force your script to fit into that box that stuff's going to be in the back of your head to some degree and she was sort of arguing how the movie does fit into a three-act structure yeah, i was it's, gonna say it's like it's like it's not like you can't follow it or anything you know it's right like, Right. It's three. It's like a nine act structure, but each That's act is, right. is, is at least there's at least three acts. If you want, right. it's just it's just the, the opening is there's just two sort of sharp left turns in this movie. Yeah. And those that's where the act breaks kind of are, I guess, if you want to think about it that way. You know, you know, I'm not too worried about it. But um, this movie just sort of transforms a couple times. And that's that's as good a way as any to tell a story, I think, like. And by when Sweetie shows up, as much as the first chunk of the film is sort of bewildering in its way, like that it moves so fast and that so much is happening, uh, you're also very ensconced with Kay. You're you're on her side. Like I yeah. think you need to be on her side when Sweetie shows up. Because uh, yeah. otherwise you it would not just seem as it would just be like, Well, this is a family of weirdos. You know what I also didn't like realize when I was first watching it, or is it like in the first in the first part where before Sweetie comes, Kay is really childlike, but I didn't I didn't recognize right. that until Sweetie comes. I was like, oh, right. she's she's also like just has arrested development as well. And I didn't realize that until now that I see Sweetie. <laughs> when Kay is so disturbed by the tree with the yellow leaves that they planted and can't stop talking about it and can't stop asking questions about like why, you know, like is this a problem? And then her solution is to rip it up, rip it out of its roots, and then hide it in her room. That is such a six-year-old decision. Like, yeah. I feel like, you know what I mean? Like, when you're six and you're like, I broke something. How am I going to deal with this? And it's not like, you know what? Let me, like, take it outside and put it in the trash. It's like, <laughs> if I put it under my bed, yeah. no one's going to see it there for some reason. Like, you know, that's just logical when you're And if kid. they ask like, you about it, you should just go, 
I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why it's there. I don't <laughs> know why that happened. Yeah. This movie has such a specific visual style that like I I I was listening to this commentary assuming that she was gonna break down like the math of everything she was doing, right? And she keeps mm. on sort of like talking about how much of it was instinctual and then trying to sort of retroactively analyze what she must have been unconsciously doing at the time but the couple things she keeps saying are like a right the rebellion against film school and being taught there's a right way to do everything and trying to test whether that's bullshit or not right but then a lot of her decisions were just very broad general things where like she's like i didn't have a color palette for this movie there wasn't some key for what colors represented what things i just thought there should be a lot of color in it like, I wanted that sort of, like, cartoonish energy throughout the whole thing. And then the weird framing, like, the focus of the shot is never at the center of the frame. And if there yeah. are multiple focuses, they are at complete opposite ends of the frame. Mm -hmm. And you have, like, shot-reverse-shot coverage where both characters in their coverage will be in, like, the lower right-hand corner with all this negative space or some other weird object in the other corner, all this sort of shit. And she was like, A, I thought it was interesting. And if I were to look at it now and try to think about what I was doing, I think it was from the very beginning consistent throughout the entire movie trying to create a sense of unease. So you have the color and the sort of energy and the poppiness making this movie feel like it's a comedy. But I'm never going to let you get comfortable because every single frame is kind of unbalanced and quote unquote incorrect from how we're taught movies should look, which is just such a simple but like obvious way to approach it you know yeah it's it honestly it's kind of like it's like a relief as a director being like oh you don't have to like overthink <laughs> it's like she's just like i don't know i just chose it this way and this is right. oh, i guess my subconscious was doing the work for me to make it feel uneasy or whatever you know <laughs> and like uh how I, as i was watching it when you're talking about like the character being in one side of the frame or whatever i like my film school thing i was like are they crossing the line here or is he just in the other frame? Like I can't Dare tell. they cross the line? Yeah, dare they? But it's like, right. I don't even think they're crossing the line. It's just I don't think so they are opposite no. of the language we're sort of used to of how these things look and feel and whatever. But it, it like fucking doesn't matter. It achieves the effect she wants of putting you in the right headspace to watch this movie. And I, I do think so often, like, she says this thing too about how and this is part of her sort of philosophy of having the camera locked down and having as much happen in one or two shots as possible within a scene or whatever. But that like she'd watch other film school people who would have like two really important shots in a sequence and then would want to shoot like three or four other setups of coverage just for insurance. Right. And she was like, well, then you're just you're you don't have enough time for anything. The yeah. two shots that actually matter, you're rushing, you're not getting them right or the performances aren't right. And then you're getting a bunch of other shots that you don't need. And I was like, what if I only spend my time on the shots that I actually do need? And I take the time to make sure they're as good as they possibly could be in every sense. And she said they do the dailies every day. And she had a lot of like female crew members on this, but it was still I mean, probably when you say a lot of female crew members it was probably 
15 to 20 percent female right Mm -hmm. yeah and they would do these screenings of the dailies at night and the crew and the men would like laugh really hard they'd be like this is great oh my god this is so good should have shot more coverage though like even when it was working they still acted like she was doing something wrong by not giving herself the out to cut away from the weird thing she had chosen she was like but it's working like you it's you like it like it it fucking served its intent um, but some, and some of these shots, like the, the, there's the, the, where the, all the women are curling their hair at the same time. Yeah. I love that shot. There's the, the two cowboys doing the weird dance together. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that scene is also so confused. I'm like, wait, what, this is the, where did they go? Like, what I, I don't know. <laughs> she <laughs> said this is a thing that she likes a lot, that she did a lot like in line college. line dancing? No, to go to see the mounds. Oh. <laughs> Sure, okay. sure. Which this are is the those thing weird about New Zealand? Right. Yeah, that you know, there's a lot of weird shit going on in New Zealand. Especially, I keep thinking about like pre internet New Zealand. You know? Yeah. There's only so much you can fucking do. Like, probably. She made it sound like it was a semi widespread thing that she liked a lot. That sure, she would do it very often. It and then I fun think. As hell. Go to right, see I, a big dirt mound? That's what they do. They're they're like we're going on a vacation without Sweetie, and that's what they do, right? That's right. That's what that is. It's such a, they're like you can't come to this weird thing, like to the d- dirt mound hoedown. I mean, the mother in this movie is a country western singer who had never acted before. Mm-hmm. She's good. and she's very good. The dad too. Dad had never acted, right? Oh, wow. Dad was like a background actor. Wow. Had never had, done like dialogue before. Yeah. He just she just loved his eyebrows. He's got those nice yeah. dad brows. <laughs> but she also wow. said that he showed up on set and he had like memorized all the dialogue and he was like, "So, am I am I supposed to say it like a poem?" <laughs> <laughs> what? Like a poem? Right, he was like, how am I supposed to say this? And it wasn't like he was looking for line readings. He was like, I don't know how people talk on camera. <laughs> Fair. I um, guess I wouldn't know. And then the kid, she said, like, he, his parents worked so hard to get him memorized that he showed up on set and he knew every line backwards and forwards, but only as one continuous chunk. Uh, like, he only learned uh, his lines. And she said, like, do up. you know your lines? And he did the whole thing. <laughs> and she had to like work to break it into pieces because oh, he couldn't separate God. the lines in his mind. Well, she did a fantastic job because I love this kid. This kid, yeah, this he, was, kid. he was great. He's he the was best. Great. He's like, buy a truck. He's just so rambunctious. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, a really nice thing on the Blu-ray too with uh, the the two lead actresses who like have remained best friends to this day, like wow. met on this movie and love each other. Uh, uh, Genevieve Lemon was saying that like she loved to sing on set and she oh, yeah. would like do it in all the downtime and then uh, Campion started saying like while they were setting up shots like can you do another song for me can you do that mm-hmm. one I'm just like stressed out can you do the song and would make her perform or perform for the entire crew like multiple times a day and the two of them would do these songs together and it was like oh she's like humoring me and how much of a ham I am that I like to do this. And then, like, whatever it is, four or five years later, they're doing the piano, right? And both of them are working on that movie as well. And she noticed that, like, with Anna Paquin, who's, what, nine at the time? 
while they're setting up shots, she keeps on saying, like, Anna Paquin, can you, like, do a song? Can you, like, do a routine for everyone? Can you do, like, a handstand or something? And then she was like, oh, I thought she was humoring me as a performer. She was treating me the way she was later going to treat this child, which is it is helpful to have them do a thing to get a lot of their energy out of their system and then make them focused right before the take starts. (laughs) That's a good trick. Should we talk the plot of yeah. Sweetie? Uh, you know, not not as we as you're saying, not entirely conventional, but this first chunk there's I do find a lot very of story. winning. If not plot, yeah, exactly. there's a lot of story. Yeah. Uh or winning is maybe not the but like it's very engrossing watching this odd person, Kay, yeah, navigate being a grown-up kind of badly, uh, but mm-hmm. sort of you're still with her. Uh oh wow I'm looking at uh, IMDb mm-hmm. Griffin the the story you know how IMDb has those like um those those little keywords that they put for every yep, movie yes yes so here are the top five for sweetie male full frontal nudity mm-hmm. tree planting <laughs> mouth to mouth death of sister riding man like a horse so hell yeah <laughs> okay that's a great <laughs> tag man wait i'm gonna follow that i want to see where that leads me yeah, you want to see what tag. else is under under that tag <laughs> yeah um, uh two things uh campion says very casually in the commentary one uh she likes to have characters take their clothes off in every movie if possible because <laughs> uh, she she wants like vulnerability and she wants right. like people in their most awkward sort of open states with each other and two uh she likes if possible to fit in at least one moment of a main character going to the toilet in every movie for <laughs> she just likes reasons. to keep it real she yeah. just keeps it real that's what it is right but her dp excuse me i keep forgetting her name um, she's got a great name and her name is Sally Bongers. Sally Bongers was saying how radical, uh, radicalized like all the male crew members felt when this guy just casually takes his dick out on set and that all the female crew members were like, do you understand how many times we see female nudity in movies? <laughs> sure. That this is like not a, a thing? Um, that, that it wasn't any sort of statement for her, but I think after seeing how affected people were by it, then she was like, I'm going to fucking do this in every goddamn yeah, it's movie. Gonna be, it's going to be in all the camps. I every mean, every movie. That, because like that sequence, that like Sweetie hasn't even shown up yet at that point, no, right? Like that's no, about 20 not. minutes into the movie. She's, their relationship she, has gone cold. Right. She steals this guy away because he's got a question mark on his forehead, sort of. <laughs> Which also, by the way, for some reason, the question mark on, yeah, the sort of question mark on his forehead forehead also for some reason really stuck with me when i was a kid and being like oh yeah it's creepy i don't know (laughs) i just didn't like it it's just a really like weird thing that that i'm like one of these the things in this movie that i'm like i don't know why but that's making me uncomfortable right he's got a a superman curl on his forehead and then a mole right underneath it Right. Um, and so that's the reason enough. And they have this kind of hot encounter underneath a car uh-huh. uh, in a parking lot. But uh-huh. And then they move in together, I guess. But the, by the time Sweet, before Sweetie has shown up, their relationship is has gone cold, like you said, Griffin. And they're like, okay, well, what if we just like 
you know, let's have sex tonight. We'll like put it in the books. Right. And we have they, to plan it. We have to organize our sex. Right. Even though they're right. like, like God knows they're just like young people doing menial <laughs> jobs basically. Mm-hmm. But, and so they're right. That scene is them lying next to each other naked. And she, she's like, you feel like my brother. Like, you know, it's just, it's gone. Like whatever tension here is, is just completely gone. And then he's like, yeah. And he's like, maybe it's more spiritual this way. <laughs> <laughs> right i i love it it's just so it's funny that we're already there that's all that's i guess that's what's yeah funny. right and that's also the state of her relationship with the guy she's co-writing this movie with at the time they're co-writing it where it's right. like well this was all the stuff leading up to us now working on this project i moved in with you very quickly i thought we were madly in love i realized it's maybe more of a friend collaborator thing than a sexual thing and now let's figure out where we go from here and then like sweetie you know gropes him on the beach and they start making out and there's no consequences to that whatsoever it's other than it's wild like- <laughs> right she's doing she's doing a demonstration of how good she is at licking yeah and it just within 35 seconds heightened to like full on frenching on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> and well, then, everything everything happens very quickly. It's it's like no, don't like don't marry her. We're destined to be and cl- flip these coins and then he's like, "Okay." <laughs> like Right. I mean, it's funny cuz it's like the the K character is trying to live like a reasonable logical life, but I think is conscious self-conscious about the fact that she is too beholden to beholden to the rules, right? So she's like trying to find alternative rules to follow, whereas Sweetie just does not play by any rules whatsoever and gets to sort of kind of float through life largely unencumbered. Uh, yes, she does, but she she is self destructive in her totally like right. in in her in her wanting to hurt other people because of whatever it is that she doesn't like about it. Like when she chews on the horses, which again, I was like, why? But as a kid, you know, like, what's like, happening? When she spits them out and there's Ugh, blood on the plate. Yeah, it's just like, but she doesn't, I mean, that's the problem. It's like, sweetie, that's the problem as if there's one. <laughs> a problem she has is that many of the rules she does not follow are the ones that keep her safe and alive. It's tragic though, because you're not really sure why she's doing it. I mean, she just loves, it's like she gets off on the chaos and I've known people yeah. kind of like sweetie before where they're just, I don't know. They just have this like wild, chaotic, fucked up energy. You've definitely yeah. known some people. like I know, sweetie. It's oh, like, yeah. I feel yeah. like I've known people like sweetie. I can't think of who they are, honestly, but I'm like, but I know, I know that energy and yep. I don't know like and it it's so frightening to me and, and like oppressive yeah. to me that I'm like I've rejected it in my in my psyche of like I can't be around that kind of person I don't even remember the person that I'm thinking of you know but I have that feeling of like get this this energy out of my orbit so the the thing the bathtub scene that you mentioned earlier SV where she's like bathing her father and you see it only from behind but there's like a lot of time spent with her arms in front of his crotch, right? Yeah. And that when they screened it, people read it as like an incest thing and that it was a sign that like they had some inappropriate sexual relationship when she was a child and that is why she's quote unquote fucked up. Sure. And Campion was like, that wasn't my intent at all. My intent was she doesn't have any boundaries. 
She does not understand what she should or shouldn't be doing at any moment. And the fact that he just kind of sits there passively is showing that the problem is less that he crossed lines with her as a child. It is more that he at no point ever established any boundaries for her yes. whatsoever. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Like, I, when I watched it too, I was like, oh, is, is it going in this way, the direction? And then it never, and I was like, no, it was, it, like, I didn't articulate it the way you just said that Jane did. But, um, <laughs> like, it, it it didn't have it, it didn't have a like oh she was sexually abused energy at the end of the day with it it was just like what is that you know right i mean i think you have to think about camping growing up with like a, a you know a clinically depressed mother yeah. and having to contend with behavior that it perhaps is not exactly like this is stuff that is sort of like irrational cannot be explained but campion talks about her mother with like a great amount of empathy where it's just like it's this horrible fucking disease she has you have no idea how awful it is to watch someone suffer from that up close you know there's no easy answer there's not like a reason there's yeah. not an inciting incident um you know i mean she's talked about in a lot of ways how it's and this was her recording this commentary, what, like fucking 15 years ago or whatever. So it was, you know, uh, even worse then than it is now marginally. But that like it, these things are just not treated like diseases, which they are. If you grew up as a child of someone in a household like that, you understand this as a disease, not just like, well, she's a little kooky or like she has to get over it or whatever. But yeah. We want there to be an explanation. Of course. I mean, as, as there are, as I feel like we always feel the way that way whenever we know someone who's sick or who's depressed or who behaves strangely or what right you're like well there's got to be a reason like i want to know why like right. you, you know because it makes it feel like it'll be easier to fix it that's that's part of why this movie's uncomfortable you want there to be a quick not fix like, right well here's the deal with sweetie well i think it's because she's really good at that chair trick i think that's the problem <laughs> i think that's really where it all roots <laughs> well, from yeah that's also like like the end of the movie is that flashback of her singing not well, you know, like, <laughs> and, so, and funny, so it's like, I know like the, the glimpse of her <laughs> as a like, child, right? Yes. The glimpse of her as a child and like getting uh, the attention of her father for that. Like it, it's, it's this like, Oh, she's, they, they enabled this in each other in some way. It's like the, that, I don't know. Yeah. And then doing the, the chair trick <laughs> and then like the father starts to try to do the chair trick. Anyway, <laughs> Ben, do you like her buddy? I feel like you must like her, oh. sweetie's, oh, you know, Tom? her guy. Uh, yeah, Bob. Bob, Bob, Bob. I'm sorry, Bob. Yes. Bob. Yeah, well, and that kind of, like, I don't think we have to spend too much time on it, but the 90s No, of I think this, we have to spend 45 minutes on Bob. Sure, I mean, the 90s of this movie, to me, Bob feels so just, like, kind of pulled out of that time where he's, like, got this weird rockabilly kind of, like, punk kind of vibe to how he's dressing, um definitely obviously a heroin user but again <laughs> they are bringing out the worst but kind of you know it's so entertaining to me the way they are around each other just drunken fucking animals like yeah. i mean the, yeah the scene where bob the dad takes bob out for lunch <laughs> and he fully nods off and drools on himself he's is still, like he's like still asking him questions while he's it's, drooling it's like, it's like it's like so played, is she gonna make it <laughs> what what do you like here it's played at the size of like a fairly brothers movie yet it still works I mean, that's that, that whole thing is so fascinating too where like the dad keeps on uh sort of justifying 
to Kay that like, you don't understand, Sweetie's not like us. Like she's creative. She's capable of doing all these things. There's this sort of like rationalization of like, we cannot uh, fix her because she's operating a different this level right. than there, the rest of There's a reason she's this way. I mean, right. And also, and they can't let go of the the sweetie you see at the end of the film, the, the child right. that they remember as this cute little performer so type winning. or whatever. But right. so, like yeah. this scene where he takes Bob out for lunch and you just assume this is going to be a class of like overprotective dad thing where it's like, who the fuck is this guy? You've got her believing in some show business <laughs> dreams. We've been down this path before. Like, I'm going to lay down the law. And then his end point he gets to is like, so you really think she can make it, huh? Yeah. Like, he's doing all the wind-up of, like, you have to understand. Right, You we've gone through this a lot. You know, she's been burned before. But you think she's really got it. And the guy's fucking drooling on himself. Also, he's clearly, like, um, hooked up with the waitress and she hates his guts. Yes. And the dad yes. is just kind of, like, it's not registering with him at all. Oh, my God. That scene's amazing. I love how much you love this movie, Ben. I never, I didn't think about it. I didn't think that this would be the Ben movie, but I should have. Of course no, it is. It's so my energy, like yes. chaotic, just weirdo people. Like my, one of my favorite movies is Gummo. So it's like, yes. come on, you know what I mean? Like this is just, it's got that, like, I don't know, buzzy energy. It's funny to think about like, this movie premiered, like she's the belle of the ball, right? And she takes mm -hmm. this movie to Cannes. And like some people boo it, which yeah. like is obvious. And some people are like disgusted by it. And I'm like, you know, I read that and I'm like, well, yeah, Sweetie's a little polarizing. I'm not stunned <laughs> to hear that it didn't like go over with like gangbusters. But I think for her, it was kind of like, what the fuck is this? Why are people mad? Like she naively said, like she, she said, like we cried and cried, like, you know, like that they were just going to be like hailed as heroes. Um, and maybe that's another reason she sort of ends up now, like after this, dusting off the slightly more prestige stuff, even though Angel at My Table and the Piano are still, you know, very idiosyncratic. Like they're but very she her. She does three more conventionally prestige period films in a row. Yes. And then her next two films after that are her only two Hot other... weird American sex movies that rule. <laughs> And her only like present day films, which are very yes. poorly received, both of them. True. That is true. And now she's back. Of course, her last two movies have been uh, period films. Although, you know, it's, uh, Top of the Lake is, that's, uh, that's, that's contemporary. That's TV, my friend. That's TV, sure. But yes. Uh, it is TV, but it's highly acclaimed TV. It's TV the play yes. at the Cannes Film Festival. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's just, I I find this movie so transfixing but i it 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 makes me sad it may, like and that's not a complaint it but it definitely bums me out and i watched it last night and my wife was very unsettled but she was like again it just seems to be just sort of against the rules like what it's like you know it would be almost i think more easy to take if it was like about a person with a problem and you're dealing with the problem right Right. Like, you know, here's Sweetie and here's what's wrong with her and here's what she's dealing with. But it's it, it never pins that down. So instead, you're just sort of constantly feeling like you're shifting uncomfortably in your seat. Yeah, also, like when she dies, no one's really sad. And then and I also, as the viewer, was like relieved. I was like, thank God. Yeah, there's Sweetie's, some relief. Sweetie's out of my life, you know, especially since Sweetie's final act is so chaotic that you're like, I don't know how this is supposed to end. Like, yeah. <laughs> 
The the her jumping up and down in the treehouse goes on for so fucking it's way long. long. And you think the kid might get her. you know like obviously yeah. you're a little right. worried about the kid. Like there's there's that sort of creepiness uh, to what's happening. But they keep on doing that shot for underneath where you see sort of like the yeah. floorboards like creaking. It, it They just string out for so long that, yes, I do think there's a relief when it finally happens. You know, they like immediately cut to the kid safely grabbing onto the trunk of the tree mm-hmm. like he caught himself and he doesn't have a scratch. And then she's there dead. She will not stop like coughing up strawberry syrup. Right. It just like <laughs> yeah. keeps on coming out of her mouth. Uh, but there's the relief and there's also, I think, the sense of, like, sad inevitability from her family where they were just like, well, it's a matter of time. Yeah. I, it, also, it's, just, it's like, call the police or call someone and they're just standing there and you're like. Yeah. And they're like, just let it be. <laughs> let, let, let this moment happen. She feel, It feels like an animal a little bit. Yeah. You know, like they're like yeah. she's so animalistic, but almost kind of the way that she's treated Yeah, in that moment. It feels like the passing of an animal like the stakes are lower yeah um that that was the the other thing that uh lemon said and the, the making of thing is that she had done another play right before this where she had to be naked on stage the entire time so it was like right she oh, was those like are i'm the into two it. things i could be <laughs> right. well not like i'm into it but it's like i've desensitized myself to this i could be naked for four days of filming i can play a child the entire time i know how to do this uh Jane, please, can I tell you one thing? I have no problems being in the nude. That's what she says. Uh, when Jane, because Jane was like, Campion was like, look, if you don't want, if you want to wear clothes to the scene, I, I won't make a fuss. And yeah. Lemon was like, nah, that's that's fine. I, I get it. Even when she is wearing clothes, though, like those clothes are like dress up she's clothes. Spilling out she's spilling out. She's like them. still like naked. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and like, how many scenes in this movie does she just like suddenly take off her shirt? Yeah. You know, like she's usually she's in underwear for a good percentage of this movie. I mean, there's yes. the thing in this as we like when it's right. She doesn't know how to dress herself like or whatever. She gets right. halfway done and then she's sort of like, this is it. Right. I I don't have to like button my shirt or put on. It's yeah, like yeah, she, uh, yes. she also has like Madonna gloves on, you know. <laughs> right. Her look is so wild. <laughs> so um, wild. There's the thing in this SV, which like when I hear people talk about search party, right? Like so often they go like, I like I have to like space episodes out because it makes me so uncomfortable. (laughs) But there's the thing I think you and Charles do incredibly well in like on an episode by episode basis, but especially on a season by season basis where it's like you you. As opposed to, I think, so much of prestige TV and streaming TV and whatever, where it's like things are sort of drawn out for as long as possible. You know, you're like prolonging the inevitable. I feel like the two of you and everyone else who works on the show with you uh, will like write yourselves into corners of just going like, what's the most extreme, fascinating thing that could happen now? And then we will solve what you do after that, rather than being worried about how do you go further from that point. And and this movie has a lot of that energy and I think similarly that thing of like watching people with incredibly complicated, somewhat toxic, codependent relationships put themselves in increasingly uncomfortable situations, but it does not feel like the movie is getting joy from that or that's mocking it. Like there's a weird balance of like genuine love for the characters while also recognizing their failings and being fascinated with watching them having to contend with more and more complicated situations of their own doing. Yeah, it's funny because I forget that 
like often my work is hard to watch and that people don't are like oh and the, and how how much i felt that when watching this right <laughs> that's that, why i bring it up because the yeah. way you were talking about watching this movie i do hear it from people who will end up finishing all of search party and going i'm glad i did that that was great but it took me a while yeah <laughs> yeah no i it's it's funny I, like that does tend to be my favorite stuff too even though i wouldn't say that this is like my favorite movie but i i appreciate it so much for tapping into that um because this is just more unfamiliar to me than what what like the the dynamics between this in this family and the husband it's like a little bit it's not actually my territory but it is it is like the the um the uncomfortableness that i um am always like exploring so it's it's a it's interesting that i have like oh yeah i didn't even think about how that's how my how my work tends to come across Especially for something you watched at such a young age where most other movies you see that look like this and have this kind of comedic energy are not punishing you in the same way. (laughs) There's an interesting thing like Chris Noonan is in the special thanks of this movie, right? Chris Noonan of Babe fame? The director of Babe who uh, weirdly only ever directs two feature films in his entire career Miss Potter's but, Chris Noonan. Right. He does Babe and Miss Potter and gets like a Best Director nomination as first film out, doesn't make another movie for uh, over 10 years, and then um, has once again receded. But he gets a lot of weird special thanks credits on things or consultant credit on things. And he started in Australian cinema in like the 70s. I mean, he made like a student film when he was like 16 that won festival yeah, awards. worked on TV. Yeah. Was deeply entrenched in the industry. And, and like Babe is the movie coming years after this that I think has the closest vibe to this movie, weirdly, of anything else I've ever seen. But there is some sort of shared like continuum between like this, Babe, obviously the other... Uh, George Miller films, but especially his earlier films, the early Peter Jackson movies. Like there is some odd, overcranked, cartoonish, but like quietly dark New Zealand Australian comedy vibe that I never really see in American films. No, and and most no. of those filmmakers end up like as they get older, evolving that style a little bit and going out of it. But like, th- there's a very specific feel to these movies and also i guess most of those films i mentioned are all happening around the same time i mean those careers are all starting in the late 70s uh through the mid 80s that's when like australian cinema is revived and right like that's when it's there's serious investment again i guess right uh that's where you know all all this is coming from and maybe maybe they were film school contemporaries i don't know i i just wonder what's culturally going on there there's this like very like down there these these dark looney tune movies you know yeah it's (laughs) weird down there that's weird i don't know i don't want to be stereotypical about australians but australians are all crazy it's the craziest (laughs) country in the world (laughs) Uh, i have i have like no concept of what day-to-day life is like in australia every time i see a movie that takes place in australia i i I feel so like the environment feels so foreign to me and 
you know, literally like winter is summer and summer is winter there, you know, like exactly. Christmas, and summer. Christmas and summer. What? Um, yeah. And like, it just feels so, it, there, uh, there is something about a lot of Australian movies that I just like ha- have a sense of unease with, with them. And I like Muriel's wedding, which I love. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It just, there is also that same sort of like, uh, discomfort. Um, and I'm very curious what the, I don't know, literally just what it's like to live in Australia. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. I don't know. I I've never been, and I'm super, I grew up in a country that is super biased and stereotypical about Australian people, which yeah. is the country. America. Of I don't know. America. Why, or, we judge Australian. I think Americans, crocodile I think the American take on Australian, right. Is, is the crocodile Dundee take right where it's like, oh yeah, those guys are like a good time. They drink beer, they <laughs> sure. throw shrimps on Barbies, they wrestle crocodiles, right? Like that's what it's like down there. Whereas I think Brits are like those; they're savages. They're crazy. Like you know, like they, like there's the they drink even more than we do, and they you know I don't know. There's there's this sort of like harsher edge because Brits are so prejudiced about. Uh, certain countries it's very funny Um, i mean this is also classic dumb grift dumb brain shit but like i remember being a a little kid in like elementary school and a teacher telling me that she was from oregon and i was like with like covered wagons and shit because my (laughs) frame of reference in my mind i was like this game represents what oregon is like right now right i was just like this is what oregon has always been and will always be and it's like Uh, i've been to sydney twice i still whenever i hear australia think of the outback like it's hard for me to (laughs) contend with the fact that there are like cities where people are wearing clothes and shoes i started you know? this but like i really have to apologize to our australian listeners it's a very <laughs> cosmopolitan country in so many I'm, ways I, this, I, this is my I, point I'm, not, I'm, I'm excusing I'm, I'm i'm apologizing for myself no and I'm, um, I'm apologizing for myself here i'm i'm acknowledging that i'm a of course, fucking this is idiot a and i've seen it for film, myself obviously but what so I'm saying even is more offensive. Well, and New Zealand is now just thought of as the Shire, I feel like in most American right. minds, where it's like this idyllic fucking fantasy land. But right. I, I just I don't understand culturally what's going on. Uh, and I, I hope fucking listeners at me and give me good links to read or someone explains or we find something later in the other episodes here. But culturally, what's going on where it's like, because Muriel's wedding is another one, like the Jocelyn Moorhead, PJ Hogan thing as well. It's like there's some odd vibe to New Zealand and Australian uh, comedy that is very unique, especially from like. 1983 to 92 or something there's also like just thinking about these two movies like their haircuts are like kind of off in a weird way you know yeah Yeah. their their style is 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 um i don't even know if it's out of touch or if it's just doing it's like i i don't i don't have a context of it other than watching these movies so i'm like what is it like living there? Cause it also feels very quiet all the time. It's like in, in the houses, yeah. like you don't hear anyone else outside. It kind of feels maybe a little bit like t- deserty Tucson or something. Like, I don't know why I'm, I've always been kind of fascinated with what, what is it like to live in Australia? I guess this is an Australian film. I should take that back. Obviously she's Th- from New this Zealand. Is, this, she's from New Zealand. this is fully so, an Australian right, film. Right, yes. Right, right. After going to Australian film school, working with Australian people. But, but there's like that weird sort of like manic, 
scary quality to Australian comedy at this point in time. And then I feel like when I see Australian comedy shit from like the mid 90s on, that's gone. It becomes gentler again. Sure. I mean, I do think there was also more crossover hits that were more gentle crowd pleasers coming out of Australia in the 90s and 2000s. The castle and shit. The castle, the dish, right. you know, those sorts of movies that are more right. family friendly. Babe, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah, there's obviously there's a weird sort of, you know, there's weird humor and sort of avant-garde stuff always bubbling out over there. So, you know, so it's at the ends of the earth and the sun is, you know, two inches from your face. Sure. And, uh, you All know, right, there's David, scorpions let's take and stuff. It easy. Oh, sorry. I'm okay, slipping into stereotype on. again. Yeah. There's like, this doesn't, weirdly, like the movies almost feel Todd Salonzi in a way, like in mm-hmm. that era. Sure. It, this one, especially. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's interesting. Anyway. Todd Salonzi it's all, is a good comparison for this movie like welcome to the dollhouse is a decent comparison for this movie welcome to dollhouse is more straightforward plot wise right like you know it's uh, yeah (laughs) right right, but still but but it's like if danny devito directed a todd salon's script (laughs) right it's it's more whimsical is they like it's a little less bleak. sweetie isn't bleak exactly there's this weird like fable like quality to this movie I guess because it's so heightened. That's that's their protection you have with Sweetie. Right. Like, you're like, this isn't real. Like, the, like you know, because again, I, I, I do think it's sort of like a haunting movie. All, like, right? Yes. Like, you could describe it that way. Like, she really is kind of like a poltergeist. Everything <laughs> yes. she does is so weird. Yeah. And uh, she's this sort of problem they have to confront and weather and destroy. And yeah. then they're free of her, but they're still kind of haunted by it. Uh, with you know, because the last shot of the movie is like haunting, like you know, the, the ghostly glimpse of her as a baby, as a kid. Um, but she, this is what I keep, I just keep like when you're when you, if like, I, this is not my situation, but if like I had an older sibling or a younger sibling and we were all grown ups, but my parents were kind of still you know, letting them off for being a fuck up or being a weirdo or whatever, and I was trying to be normal. And like maybe you know that that sibling just kind of grows in your brain into this sort of like super chaotic person, like beyond like they're taking maybe this story from Gerald Lee's life, and they're just like, what if we just inflate the personality to these like you know ridiculous proportions of of your your wild sibling who who everyone is indulging in a weird way? Well, look, it, it reminded me unfortunately of the very dark period in my life a couple of years ago when I started obsessively watching Dr. Phil because I could yes. not get over <laughs> your Dr. Phil face. Yes. I could not get over the juice of those episodes where someone is like a maniac and the rest <laughs> of the family's on the panel and they're like, Yeah, we don't know what to do. And Dr. Phil's like, come on. <laughs> I mean that that's the the worst thing that can happen to you is having someone like that be in your immediate family because you can't, right. you can't like you, to an extent you can sort of like set boundaries that are like, I'm not going to talk to you if you're talking that way, but you can't be like, you're out of my life. I mean, there are of course situations where that happens, but like generally with that, especially if they are, you know, mentally, um, I don't know, ill, um, then, yeah. then like you have to, you have to confront it constantly and then 
in doing so, you're not actually confronting, you're just like disassociating. And, and like, yes, being, yes. like uh, this, uh, this is where I, they're here right now, but hopefully I can, they'll leave my house and then I can go back to my other life. That's like not. Th- that's right. That was the, the thing on I on your could, shoulder all the time. The thing I could not fucking get my fill of watching Dr. Phil was uh, <laughs> like, I, I don't know what to do. And yeah. he'd be like, look at everything. You're you're enabling them. This is all fucking terrible. And they'd be like, oh, I don't know. Like just disassociating <laughs> from it, creating this yeah. little bubble of deniability, right? To like keep themselves safe from having to acknowledge the reality of everything all the time. But then you also go like, how are you feeling? And you're like, terrible. My life's a mess. Like yeah. nothing's working. The woman who's like son hasn't left bed for four years. And she's like, well, why, why won't he get out of bed? And it's like, because his TV is right there. Who brought his TV in? She's like, well, I moved the tea in. But, I, but, but it was because he wouldn't get out of bed. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> who empties his urine jars? I mean, I oh do, but God. who else? If I don't do it, then who's going to do it? I tell well, him not to. Is this person The Rock working out? Yeah. Sorry. Oh, my God. So, I don't know. This, this thing where The Rock pees in bottles. I just oh, can't I get over it. Yeah, yeah he, he pees in bottles while he's working out, and people are like, why? And he's like, well, the places I work at don't have bathrooms. And I'm like, why don't you go to a place that does have a bathroom? It seems like a better <laughs> better way to do it, in my opinion. That's all. Yeah, let me just uh, he pees in bottles and then uh, sells them as Terramana tequila. But oh, also, he's, like, he's, he's working out so much that... You know, I, when I go to the gym, it's not like, oh, I've got to take a pee break in the middle of the gym. <laughs> right. You're like, <laughs> every five minutes, baby, I got to bust it out. <laughs> yeah. Get me that Voss bottle. Um, Joyless. I'm sure it Joyless. must be Voss. He's, he's, he's peeing in a Voss Absolutely. bottle. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, is there anything else about Sweetie? I'm looking at the any other scenes we're not thinking of. What about the dream sequences? Because I feel like we, mm. we touched on the last, you know, the last thing at the, at the end there with like, you know, the dream sequence of her as a girl, but it's throughout the movie and I really love it. And it's weird as hell. And I can't even, there's, there's random images. Like it's very dreamlike. It's hard to even Again, like, Again, very Ben. Oh, mm. totally. But like, there's like a part where there's a dream sequence where it's kind of like a more to do with the tree and it being buried or rather not buried, sorry, under the bed and it's just like all these quick weird shots and it's like it's very emotional but like again it's hard to put your finger on what really it's trying to well, say well yeah i actually i actually was like did she rip up the tree in her sleep or did right. or, or was there that not part of the dream you know like it's it's kind of edited in a strange way right the tree is very haunting the tree, i really the, i can't get over her putting the tree in the closet also it was i was just like okay so what's the uh the um, uh, emotional relevance of this tree, you know, like what is like roots? Okay, root, like family roots, you know, like that. The whole time I was just like, there's the trying to trying to decode what exactly they were getting at with the tree, and I, I wonder what Jane had to say about it in in her commentary. Just like I don't know, the tree was interesting. <laughs> well, because then there's also like a, a, a root in her grave in her grave right. that has to be cut, you know. Oh yeah, but that's the thing. Like she's rarely one to one where she's like, and if you think about it, the tree is X. She's more like right. what you're saying, Griff. She's like, yeah, that image really stirred something up in me. Right. So yeah. I, I knew I had to get it into the movie. It happened and with she, Gerard and me, and then I thought, oh, that'd be good for the movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, I love this quote about uh sweetie 
coming out in America where she says, I love comfy sofas, not hardback chairs. So I feel guilty when people say, I felt uncomfortable watching your movie. <laughs> like she, yeah. she, she wants to make you a comfy sofa. She just can't do it. I guess she's just sort of like, well, it's another hardback chair. I'm sorry. That's I hope funny. you like it. I mean, another thing that adds to just the weird vibe of this movie is that the score is all like gospel choir. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Which is just not what you're expecting to go along with these images or vice yeah. versa. You know? Everything at this movie is like out of 10, but it, each 10 is in a completely different direction. Um, she got a lot of Lynch comparisons when this movie came out, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's funny that that's where people started with her because I don't think it's where she goes. No. But I do, obviously, because this movie is sort of quasi kitsch and has a lot of like very stark, you know, imagey visual. You know, like I get why people made the Lynch comparison. Like, and she sort of rolls her eyes at it but she's like yeah we both like are art school people so like i i sort of get it yeah um but uh but like you yeah. know obviously That's there's nothing else she makes that i would i would say really lines up closely to david lynch at all the goofiness of his his like interest in meditation feels lynch yes he loves meditation right, right? It, well it, sure and it, the way it's portrayed though even where the dad is like what is he doing I love yeah. that scene. The, the so class. Good. And then she tries to meditate. Yeah, that class. Yeah. And she's like, well, I'm not going to enjoy oh, it. I related to that so much. Like where you're like, I can't and do it. She I can't do this. And then she has a profound experience. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. it's sort of a scary experience. It I, is. I don't think yeah. it worked. <laughs> I just love how that guy just says like, that's fine. Like that's, yeah. you know, like he just, he only has the one answer for no. her. <laughs> just fucking close your eyes. You're doing it. <laughs> Any of you guys meditate? Anyone ever meditate? Nah, everyone yeah. tells me to do it all the time. It's I one meditate. of those things that anytime you do. Yeah, but uh, but I do guided meditations that are also sort of like hypnosis. So it's, oh, that's yeah. interesting. That might help. That might yeah. be better. Like I just yeah, I that really sounds struggle like to. I, I much I much prefer guided meditations. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not very good at guiding myself in any way <laughs> towards anything. I can't sit still. I can't like not think. So I exactly. feel like it's pretty hard. It's tough. It's I tough. need a guide with like the little flag at the stick saying like over here, over here. <laughs> but like, I also very much appreciate the, the like torture of meditation and how it's like. <laughs> wait, this is good for me. How? Yeah, exercise, same deal. I'm just like, yeah, I know, I know. Um, I, I've, I would, I would say that I've never had like some people who meditate regularly are like, it changed my life, and I'm like, I don't know if it changed my <laughs> life really. Like, it's like it kind of, I don't know. Sure. I, I guess that's my dubiousness. Is like people tell me about it, and they're like, I think it would really do a lot for you, and I'm like. I agree. You're probably right. And then they're like, it fucking changed my life. I, I, I'm, I'm eight times more powerful than I was before. And I'm like, now you're making me not want to do yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I believe that. And they're like, I'm looking at your life and I don't know. It doesn't right. don't seem that much different. Right. I'm like, I, I'm, I believe that it helped. Yeah. Well, cause I also feel like that's the kind of thing where people get into it and they're like, I teach it now. And I'm like, I right. teach it now. What do you mean? <laughs> they're like, yeah, I'm a guru. I'm like, how? Okay, cool, man. I mean, you're really yeah. into it. 
Um, did this movie get a proper American release, David? It did. This movie was released in New York in 1990, uh, January okay. 1990, after playing the New York Film Festival. Uh, and it, it was out in Australia the year before, September 89. I don't know if it had like a much wider release than like, sure. you know, uh, big cities in America or whatever, but it did get a little release. Um, and it was a festival favorite, you know. A festival and, and sweetie. It, it was a bit of a festival sweetie. It was at Cannes. It was at TIFF. It was at New York. And then it, you know, went to some other places. Um, and it made like 400 grand in Australia, which I have to imagine is 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 as much as anyone hoped for, right? Like, I mean, I don't think anyone yeah. was... That's a low-budget film that cost way less than a million dollars. And then An Angel at My Table is basically, you know, in the works. Like, that was... That, that, that comes out just a year later in Australia. Uh, so she's working fast. Right. She's already getting to work on what she thinks people want out of a Jane Campion movie. She's like, okay, I got... I did that one. Thank you for giving me the mulligan. Uh, so, sweetie, do you want me to do the box office for January 19th, 1990? Because that's what I was going to do. I think it's time. Yeah. All right. Okay. Look, this movie came out early 1990. So number one okay. is a, a holdover from Oscar season uh, of 1989. It's been out hmm. for six weeks. Driving Miss Daisy? Um, no. <clears throat> Driving Miss Daisy is in the top 10. It's a number eight. Okay. But this is, I. you know what? This was probably Driving Miss Daisy's biggest challenger because this movie wins Best Director. At the, uh, at the Oscars. Born on the 4th of July? It's born on the 4th of July. Okay. Tom Cruise as Ron Kovich. Yeah. Um, an Oliver Stone film. Have you seen Born on the 4th of July, SV? No. I, I was going to say, is, isn't Do the Right Thing that same time or something? It is. Yep. But obviously that was not nominated, not, for, best nominated for Best Picture. Oh, oh, it wasn't nominated at all. Okay, yeah. but it just didn't yeah. win. It got screenplay and supporting actor for the white guy. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, I I have never seen Born on the Fourth of July either. It is uh, funny when I watch uh, obsessively the Siskel and Ebert Oscar specials from each year when I can't fall asleep. That year, they're talking about how they had been like very dismissive of Tom Cruise up until that point, and they were like, "Okay, fair enough. We're ready, Crow. Here's the movie. He finally proved that he's actually an actor and not just a movie star. He's like right. 29 in that film." Uh, like when he made it, he's like third. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 29. It, it is, whatever. it he's is just wild that his career was so dominant so early on that by 29, mm -hmm. he was having to prove to people like, <laughs> yes, I know I've made six mega hits in a row, but now I'm going to slow down and do a serious searing drama with the man who just won best director to prove that I can really act. I love Tom Cruise. I mean, uh, we, I think we all, we've all got a, a soft spot for Tom Cruise on this yeah. podcast. He loses. <laughs> he should have won. Not in terms of I think it's the best performance of the year. It's actually not my favorite Tom Cruise, although he's good. It's a very committed performance. Sure. You know, he's very in it. But he was viewed as being unbeatable. He was certainly the favorite, but he loses to Daniel Day-Lewis for my yep. left foot, who... Not only is that performance obviously also insanely showy, but that movie <laughs> became the kind of feel that's the original Miramax feel good out that's of nowhere thing. I'm kind of wondering if maybe when I saw Sweetie, it was like 
my mom was on some like kick because uh, I'm like, oh, I also remember my left seeing my left foot really young and also yeah. being disturbed. <laughs> also disturbing. <laughs> like, she she must have been uh, been on a kick of like, wh- what are all the important films this year that I'm going to watch? The serious movies. Yeah. Uh, no, my left my left foot is like I feel like the first successful execution of like the Weinstein attack on the Oscars. And then by like the piano, things are really up and running. And by English patient, they've perfected it and they can like sweep the whole board. Yeah. It's like, you know, little do they know, I guess, but like they're going to have so many other chances to give Daniel Day Lewis an Oscar. Right. Right. (laughs) And like it probably would have been good to just get the Cruz win done, but whatever. He wins. Cruz loses. Cruz doesn't have an Oscar. Danny Day Lewis. Danny Day Lewis. Dan Lewis. Sorry, Ben has three. Yeah. No, please. Let's show some respect. Tom Cruise has has no Oscars. No Oscars. Uh, three nominations. Uh, my left foot has that incredible Miramax poster because, like the the the, the, <laughs> the painted poster that looks like a stained well, glass. Well, the window. UK posters are like the stained glass painted poster, and then there's the Miramax one they put out later where it's just uh, fucking Daniel Day Lewis's headshot. It's oh, him sure. with like right. long hair, looking super handsome, smiling, and then Brenda Fricker in the background, like standing with her arms up, like victory. And it's in no way representative of how he looks in that movie or what the vibe of that movie is. Look, it was a big deal. I don't know. I mean, it's not a movie I love. Fricker is incredible in it, though. She is yeah. such a deserving winner. Anyway, Born in the Foot of July is number, number one at the box office. Okay. Number two is a buddy comedy, buddy cop movie. Mm-hmm. Kind of a classic of the genre, I would say. Uh, 89. It's kind mm-hmm. of a classic of the genre. You know, it's no lethal weapon in terms of right. success or whatever, but like it's a pretty big hit that gets pretty good reviews with two big stars. And I just feel like it's one of those, you know, it's a good buddy cop movie. It's it's very, they're, very okay. energetic. So they're cops. Did it get a sequel? Mm-hmm. No. Interesting. Should have. It's not Tango and Cash. It is Tango and Cash. Oh, okay. It is Tango and Cash. It sure is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, I think a very troubled production, but a pretty watchable movie. Yeah, agreed. I've never yeah. heard of it. Uh, <laughs> Sylvester good. Stallone and Kurt Russell, SV. Okay. They're rival detectives, but they got to work together because okay. Jack Palance frames one of them for murder. I can't remember which one. Or maybe both of them. Maybe they're both playing for murder. And Stallone's like the button-down one. He's got glasses in this Stallone movie. is the nerd. He's Tango. And Kurt yeah. is the cowboy. And he cash. is Cash. Uh, and Terry Hatcher is in it. Uh, and it's pretty good. Um, and it's directed by that Russian guy who like made all these you know big Russian movies. And then also Andre a bunch of Hollywood stuff. Konchalovsky. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's also uh, just, I mean, it's the perfect name for a buddy cop movie. Tango and Cash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These two guys. It's, I believe it's the last film of the 80s. Like, I think it's the last film released in the 80s. Oh, really? It's December sense? 22nd, it's released, 1999. Re, like, uh, 1989, 1989, sorry. Like, yes, it's like, yes. that was it. Goodbye, yes. 80s. <laughs> Tango and Cash is your salute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then number three at the box office, Griff, is another cop drama, but it's, it's a serious cop drama. Okay, it's a serious um, cop drama from 1989. Underrated, in my opinion. Directed hmm. by kind of an arty director. Hmm. Uh, big star. Big star. Crooked Cops. Crooked Cop 
drama based on a real story no. or just no it's one of those big stars though that everyone forgets is a big star but he really was 80s and 90s he was a big star you struggle with him i feel like i feel like you I, haven't I, seen a lot of his movies oh okay um, you struggled with other of his others of his movies in, bo- in the box office of guessing them yeah mm-hmm. but you don't know what my opinion on the man is i don't know maybe you love him i, I can't remember i think you like him hmm He's a bit of a silver fox. David was pointing at his head. Yeah, he's, you know, he's a he's silver, a silver fox. fox. He was a big star of the 80s and 90s. I struggle to remember. Still it's not around. a cl- It's not a Clint. Uh no, not Clint. No, no. Right. I'm trying to think who has a silver fox in the 80s this and is 90s. This what you really struggle David with. David keeps guy. pulling at his hair. I always struggle. He's got good hair. Is it um I mean, I don't know the movie, but are you talking about, um, God, now I can't remember, Pretty Woman Guy? It's Gear. Richard Gere Richard himself. Gere? Yes, Dickie I Gere. am. I am okay. talking about Richard Gere. What's your opinion on Richard Gere, Griffin? But, uh, okay. Not, <laughs> I feel like you haven't seen the good Gears. No. I haven't shifted into the right gear. I mean, I love Days of Heaven. Days of Heaven's maybe one of my ten favorite movies ever. Uh, uh, yeah, and he's in that I, one. I, I generally struggle with gear a little bit. Okay, this is a crooked cop drama with Richard Gere, and I just feel like I'm not going to pull the fucking name you're, of this thing. Wait, What's you're it called? neutral on gear? I just I had to get that out. You're neutral yeah, on gear. Yeah, been great, okay. great, great. Thanks. 200 comedy Thanks. points. Thanks. Great. Thanks. Well done. All right. It's got a very generic name. It's a Mike Figgis film, and it's called right. Internal Affairs. Right, right, right. Uh, okay. And it also features Adam Garcia, Nancy Travis, Laurie Metcalf, and mm-hmm. Billy Baldwin. Wow. Uh, and it's a totally solid cop movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, he's just got a lot of movies where you're like, oh, sure. Yeah. That thing yeah. did okay. You know, he was, <laughs> he was plugging along. Uh, posts like Pretty Woman and Officer and a Gentleman American Gigolo. Like, that's his, like, you know, booming time. It's that thing that doesn't exist anymore where it's like Richard Gere is an A list leading man. With him at the front of your picture, you can guarantee it will open to $8 million and end up <laughs> right. at 32 domestic. Right. Like that used to be on HBO and random a viable model. You didn't have to be a fucking half a billion dollar guy. Uh, absolutely. He razzle dazzled them later, though, Griffin. He did. He did, in fact, razzle dazzle them later. God, you're right. He made so many goddamn movies. I'm just looking at his. He's yeah. made a lot of good movies and a lot of nothing movies. Yeah. Um, number four at the box office, Griffin, is a film directed by a man you just, in on this episode, invoked as a director. I invoked this director. You invoked this director. He directed this film, but he's also in it. It's a black comedy, and he's on the poster like he's dreaming it, up the movie it's, it's it's war of the roses it's the war of the roses directed by danny devito it's one of my favorite poster layouts ever because it's douglas and turner in bed and then devito's at the bottom of the poster like indicating up i think i feel like he's got a cigar in one hand he's he's got a cigarette or a cigar or something and right. there's smoke it's a cigarette and there's smoke coming out of it and the the picture is forming from the smoke. Right. It's like he's created it out of his cigarette. Well, he is the director of the picture. He you is. have to understand. He's also in it. I right. do like though, it's one of the the only posters that it feels like is physicalizing the idea of like Danny DeVito presents. Here you are. <laughs> These two fucks are mad at each other. Here comes my fucking movie. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's a very yeah. dark uh comedy. Have you seen The War of the Roses? I have uh, not. It's it's, oh, it's worth watching. I think you would love that movie. You'd okay. like it. You'd like it. 
Okay. Yeah, we've, um, we've talked yeah. about this, though, where, like, DeVito is one of the only guys who is able, it has been able to make pitch black comedies into, like, major hits. And then it dropped off for him. But he had a couple in a row where it was just like, how was that a blockbuster? career, man. Yeah. Like, first, first him starring and then him directing. And then he's just also in it as basically Danny DeVito. Yeah. It's such a funny career. Yeah. I love the man. Now, number five is a cult movie, I would say. Okay. Not a huge hit, mm-hmm. but like one a huge cable hit. Like a, 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 a huge tale on this movie. This was a real fun monster movie of the 90s that just, whatever, I guess played on VHS Forever, well, got a bunch of 80s, my sequels. Friend, but, okay, gets sequels in the 90s. Like video sequels. Right. Uh, it gets video sequels. It's a horror movie or is it a... a yeah, new- but it's like a comic horror movie. Like it's like a fun sort Is it of an trash- actual monster movie? or It's a monster movie, yes. Is, yes. is the monster the title? No, what the monster is making is the title. What the monster is making is the title. This film also stars my favorite actor alive. Oh, is this Tremors? It's Tremors. Oh, I love Tremors. Tremors, Tremors is so rules. good. Tremors is great. What the, what the monster is making? I guess. That's very They're making Tremors. <laughs> They're making Tremors. Right, okay. right. but the ba- okay. the bacon gave it away to me. Yeah, Kevin Bacon in Tremors. And it's one of those classic Kevin Bacon things where he's like, what the fuck? I make a movie. It's good. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. It comes out. Everyone ignores it. And then five years later, everyone's coming up to me being like, you know what's great is Tremors. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, well, I didn't hear that in 1990 that it was great. Like, where were you then? It's like the, the classic Kevin Bacon situation. Anytime he leads a movie, people later watch it on tape and are like yeah that was good yeah why didn't i see that in the theater (laughs) yeah it's wild it's also fucking ron underwood one of the wildest careers that's his first movie then he makes city slickers which is a huge fucking hit but you would not expect that he's the guy hired to do that off of tremors then he does hearts and souls the weird robert downey jr ghost rom-com right serious comedy right (laughs) right speechless which is did that do well that no no hearts and souls yeah uh no no definitely not speechless is what diane keaton no michael keaton sorry it's michael keaton and gina davis the poster is just their lips which is like you're like well you did have the two most distinctive sets of lips of the early 90s it was you had some good (laughs) mouths there he had good lips that's true that's a good point it's it's like fair enough but that's i think they're both speech writers for rival political campaigns then he makes mighty joe young uh y- yes right he makes money uh, monster i'm uh, sorry gorilla you know right uh, the, remake, right? the fucking king kong rip rip off he does pluto nash oh god sure notorious disaster and then his right. final film ever is in the mix which we all remember as the usher Chaz palmentary crime comedy of 2005 uh, hmm. Absolutely, a Thanksgiving smash. Um, yeah, huge hit. You forget Griffin that now he's working in the uh, TV movie realm. He made a movie called Santa Baby, starring Jenna McCarthy, uh, in which she plays uh, Santa and Mrs. Claus's daughter. Mm-hmm. And then there was a sequel called Santa Baby Two: Colon Christmas Maybe. He's know. he's made like six. Uh, Paul uh, Sorvino plays Santa in these movies. Holiday and Handcuffs, Deck the Halls. He does a lot of uh, Christmas uh, TV movies. It's also wild that like uh, uh, Bacon does Tremors. 
people are like, is this low rent for Kevin Bacon to be doing this movie? It does not hit. It grows in popularity years later. They do fucking eight sequels, right? Direct to video and cable. And then they're like, we're ready to properly reboot Tremors. We're doing a proper Tremors TV series. Kevin Bacon is coming back. And people are like, fuck. They shoot a pilot, doesn't get picked up. Now, I'm about to change my background to Paul Sorvino as Santa Claus in Santa <laughs> Baby 2 Christmas, maybe. Please. Okay. Enjoy. Oh, wow. <laughs> what do not, we think? That's not, that's not my vision of Santa. <laughs> that's not your Santa? That Santa looks a no. little rough. <laughs> he, looks, <laughs> he looks haggard. Yeah. He just kind of, he looks, he looks like Francis Ford Coppola. Like, he just looks like, <laughs> I'm not getting Santa. I know, so. I, I'm sorry. There's another picture. I have to do this again. It's that good. This one's even worse. I'm sorry, Paul. I truly respect you as an actor. I think you're so great. But why did you play Santa when you just were going to look so tired all the time? <laughs> look at him. Oh look how grumpy he is. <laughs> Who's Mrs. Claus? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, there's only one way for me to find out. Uh, Santa Baby 2 Christmas maybe Mrs. Claus is played by Lynn Griffin Hey, uh, from Black Christmas okay. wow okay. fair enough yeah anyway uh, so that's the box office game Griffin uh, you've also got Always Steven Spielberg's mm-hmm. Always you have Steel Magnolias still chugging along mm-hmm. uh, along with Driving Miss Daisy a lot of sort of you know uh, weepy type movies mm-hmm. uh, Steel Magnolias is way better though uh, The Little Mermaid uh, yeah, and yeah, and Back to the Future Part Two still sticking around. A couple, a couple blank check uh, films have passed, hanging on the outskirts Definitely. of that tent. Yeah. yeah, the only new movie this week is Tremors, and of course, sweetie, if you live in whatever the upper side <laughs> or wherever this man Tremors, is. Tremors wasn't even succeeding with a January release. Yeah, it's not even succeeding against fucking the third week of Internal Affairs or whatever. Yeah, that's wild. Here's like eat a toilet bacon. I'm still here. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, SVU, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you. Yes. Thanks for having me. You're you're one of a group of people who have recently told me uh, how much you appreciate the show being long because it helped you kill time while doing long <laughs> things. Right? Did you, weren't you listening to it on a road trip? Yes. Yeah. And I probably will do it. I think, honestly, maybe we listened to it on the way to our wedding. Um, but I think we'll also listen to it on the way to Thanksgiving, which is a long road trip right you were like it helps because we can like get the whole road trip done in only three blank check episodes <laughs> yes exactly. i was like a full day 24 hours on the road <laughs> yeah jesus no it it is it, it's 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 like okay we, we won't even be done with this episode by the time we're there so that that's good right i mean if it's if it's a bewitched you won't it's, be a, it's a great joshua trip. tree uh <laughs> sure. palm springs drive sure. right um a final season of Search Party. We're recording this a little advanced. I don't know if it's about to premiere or if it's just premiered. This episode is coming out January 16th. So I think it will have just It'll premiered. It will have just premiered, okay. yes. So check it out on HBO. Check is it, it week to week or is it all dropping it, at once? It's all dropping at once. Wow. I will say, like, as I was talking about earlier, the, the thing I, I love that you and Charles do where you write yourselves into corners that you have to write past <laughs> rather than, like, going for the obvious A to B sort of plotting yeah. It makes it difficult, I would imagine, when you're ending a show to figure out how to actually end it because you've set up this standard where 
anything that feels like it should be the end of another show, you can get past. That being said, I know how the season ends, and it's insane, and you actually have come up with the thing that you cannot write past. I know. <laughs> so I'm very <laughs> impressed. Like, you know, um, oh, God. Someone, someone said to me once, like, when you when you end this sh- show, you have to be like, I can't believe they went there, and that really stuck in my head. I think you I did like, it. Yeah. Okay. I hope, I hope this works out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I am I am deeply impressed, and I can't wait to to watch the whole thing. Oh man, same. So excited. Super excited. Hell yeah! And everyone okay. watch. Yeah. Everyone watch. Yeah. Everyone. Everyone watch. Everyone watch. Every every single one of you. And I want to thank everyone for listening. And tell them to please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media, Jobo and Pat Reynolds for our artwork, AJ McKeon and Alex Barron for editing, Nick Lariano and uh, uh, JJ Birch for our research, Leigh Montgomery and the Great American Novel for our theme song. You can listen to their new album, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Online, wherever albums are found these days. Uh, go to blankies.reddit.com for some real nerdy shit and you can go to patreon.com slash blank check for blank check special features where we cover franchises and right now we are ghost busting we are in fact we are we're now busting ghosts. the family that bust together hey if you haven't signed up for the patreon we're actually um every uh release uh day uh, we'll also be offering from our archive the Marvel commentary series. So you can check out uh, past episodes if you... So this is now, yeah, yeah, our fourth year of the Patreon. And going forward, we're going to start taking things out from behind the paywall after three years. So on the 1st, 11th, and 21st of every month, if you're already a Patreon subscriber, you're going to get new episodes. If you're not, you can go to our Patreon page and those episodes from three years earlier... There'll be a new one dropped every 10 days that will unlock from behind the wall. Yeah, so check it out. There's some fun stuff. Marvel movies, guys. Yeah, uh, you can listen to three-year-old Marvel commentaries, including the one where uh, on Spider-Man... Everyone uh, loves those. From home, I say, wouldn't it just be cool if Marvel like didn't release a movie for 18 months? And then the world ended and they couldn't. They sure didn't. Tune in next week for An Angel at My Table. Who's the guest? Or is that the movie? Okay. Uh, ben. Uh, and, and as always. I'm completely blanking on the thing. That <laughs> the boss baby likes sweetie? I don't know. Yeah, she does. She likes <laughs> it. She, does. she likes it. She waggles. Okay.